This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. And I cannot get up and give you anything. And I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of God. I'd like to begin tonight with just a really quick question that I hope we can find its answer from tonight's text by just asking, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And I know that seems like a weird way to begin a text with the Lord's Prayer, but prayer is an unveiling of the heart. And we're looking at Luke's gospel, and, and though the gospels are works that we would often consider to be mostly um, have been written anonymously, uh, one of the reasons this isn't such a big deal around them is because their original audiences were uh, very familiar with whom these works came. They were members of churches or broader Christian communities. And the gospels were written intimately. They were written often with specific people in mind. And the readers would have easily recognized those realities. Luke's gospel, though, is 
a really great example of this because it's written as the first in a series of books. Uh, long before Harry Potter and The Hunger Games, uh, Luke was writing a collection of books that shapes us in some really unique ways. Luke is a physician and would have probably been one of the Apostle Paul's homeboys. And I think we see a lot of that characteristically in Luke's emphasis on the gospel. The gospels are collectively a story that only the author and finisher of life could write. And Luke, the author of this gospel, from the very first verse of the book is clear that he is recording historical truth the distinct narrative of the person and work of Jesus. And Luke records these details from eyewitnesses and ministers of the day, and he's writing ultimately to a guy named Theophilus as one of these two editions. Here in our text, though, Jesus models prayer. It is this embodiment of holiness. It is communication of humanity with God himself but deeply woven into the fabric of God's glory is the thread of the incarnation of God himself, taking on human flesh to dwell among us and he models prayer for us. Prayer is this true telling of what is the heart's desires. And prayerlessness then is a reminder of all the things we put before communion with God. R.C. Sproul in the book on prayer writes, as Christians, we are given the privilege and responsibility of communication with the God who is the creator and sustainer of all of the universe, yet many Christians neglect prayer. We pray not out of ritual practice or because we see it as a metric for salvation, but we pray because we serve a glorious God who delights himself in the prayers of his people. We pray because we admit that we are not the highest authority, that we are reliant on God himself. So I asked, what are you looking for? Verse 1 through 2 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Jesus' commitment to prayer alone should reflect our critical need to pray. What the disciples are asking for and teaching them to pray as John had is for prayer that is distinctive. This distinctiveness of this prayer is exactly why I believe that this prayer should more appropriately be entitled the prayer of the disciples. This is prayer from those who profess him Lord, the God who is righteous. But note though, there is this real communal nature to this prayer. Its intention is, is the great beauty of the prayers of God's people united. And I know for many this prayer is familiar, but 
I want to just be sure to point out some details that I think we miss in this prayer's repetition. See, Jesus opens the prayer with this simple designation, Father. To call him Father reveals that we are to pray with both intimacy and reverence. God's name to be hallowed, as my RUF students would say, is to put some respect on his name. Or from the kingdom to come, though, is to see the fullness of knowing God, the God who lived among us. To know of his redemptive design for all of creation, the God who rules and reigns. And Jesus comes to earth not only to inaugurate that kingdom, but within himself embodies the kingdom. Verse 3 says, uh, give us each day our daily bread. Bread is used here to reveal uh, a couple different things. First, of course, is the very real reality that we need God's provision in our daily lives. The second, of course, being uh, reflective on uh, God's provision as his people wandered in the desert. But by far, uh, the greatest application is John 6.35. Jesus testifies that I am the bread of life. While the bread that we eat on a daily basis gives nourishment to our physical bodies, Jesus is the nourishment we need for our spirits. Bread is essential for living, and Jesus is the bread of life that when full of him, we never hunger again. Verse 4, though, says that Jesus says, Jesus says this, he says, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I can't even begin to, to put in the words the all of what praying like this really means, especially if we're really seeking to live this way. So not only are we pleading that, that God would be gracious and merciful in forgiving us, but that we actually seek to live that truth with others. And even if we don't want to admit it, we, we need forgiveness. This is a critical need for us. The Gospels I tell the story of a man who was paralyzed. And some friends hear that Jesus is in town preaching, so they put the man on a mat and they take him to where Jesus is. And when they get there, the room is so crowded that they can't get inside. And so they go up to the roof and they tear the roof off and lowered the paralyzed man inside. And I don't know about you, but I want some friends who are going to tear the roof off for me. But when Jesus sees this man uh, being lowered into the room, he says that your sins are forgiven. But there's these religious dudes who said, Jesus, you can't say that. And Jesus says that I know he needs healing, but far greater does he need to be forgiven of his sins. See, we are to practice forgiveness because those who are forgiven by God should be so moved with gratitude that we eagerly forgive others. And Jesus shows us exactly how to do this in loving his own enemies. Even in the midst of the great suffering in his life, he prays for forgiveness. Forgiveness based on the very basis that his own death provided for those who crucified him. Not only though does Jesus say pray for forgiveness, 
He says to practice that same forgiveness. But then he says that we are to pray that we would not fall into temptation. Temptation denotes that we are going through some trial in life. It's the conscious choosing between unfaithfulness and faithfulness. It's choosing the way of righteousness or the way of a life of vain idols and the lure of seductions. And I can assure you that life will bring many temptations. Yet Jesus modeled what it means to overcome temptation. The pastor in Hebrews writes something that's helpful for us. He says that no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to me. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Verses 5 through 7 begins Jesus uh, teaching using a parable. It's this story used to illustrate the truth. And it tells the story of a friend who has another friend show at the door at midnight and he asks for some bread and some company comes over and he responds, bro, I'm in the bed, my kids sleep, don't bother me. I know that this is true in 2020, but I need us to see that even in Jesus's cultural context, how simply embarrassing this would be to, to have friends show up and not be hospitable. We live in a world well, friendship is diminished. We throw the word friend around frivolously, especially if Jesus is the standard for friendship. Proverbs 18 says that we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. John 15 says that there is no greater love than someone who lays down his life for his friends. See, true friends sharpen each other. Uh, they are faithful and encouraging, or as Peter says, that above all else, a real friend loves earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Friends show hospitality without complaining. They are stewards of God's great grace. Friends know that Jesus is a better friend. So again, I ask, what are you looking for? See, in verses 8 through 10, Jesus says, out of impudence, this friend will get up and give it to you. But look at how he turns it to himself. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. So... Get this, impudence is implied persistence. And so this friend is, is going to give it to you just because uh, he wants you to go away. But Jesus saying, uh, if you ask me, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. If you seek me, you, you're going to find me. If you knock at my door, I'll open it for you. So what is it? That we're looking for. In verse 11 through 13, Jesus teaches uh, using the story of a child who asks his dad for food, and rather than giving food, they instead give them something harmful. This 
even in some form of basic morality, we know would be wrong. Jesus says that even those who are evil want what is good for others. So how much more would God, the gracious Father, want to give us what we need? So what is it we're looking for? See, the answer to what we should be looking for has already been provided to us. In verse 13, it says that the Heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit. But is that what we're looking for? See, the Father who wants what is good for us knows that the one thing that we need is Him. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. So what are you looking for? Is it him that, that truly satisfies your heart's desires? Is he the great delight of your life? Because if it's him that you're looking for, he says, just ask. If it's him that you're looking for, he says, just seek. If it's him that you're looking for, oh, he says tonight to just knock at his door. And each week we come to this table to identify as those who are asking and seeking and knocking at the door. And the God who is gracious has responded in the sending of his son, Jesus, to live a sinless life. And yet for our sake on Calvary's cross, he bore the sins of humanity, offering himself as the unblemished sacrifice. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat at the table with some of his friends and he took bread and he gave thanks for it. He said, this is my body that is broken.